Welcome one, welcome all to the court of the Trashy Royals, where we assemble each week to reveal and revel in the tales of our betters behaving badly. My name is Stacy. Oh, so badly. Alicia here, friends. Thanks for joining us today for a few naughty nobles as we continue our tour through the 12th century to conclude our Eleanor of Aquitaine episodes, covering in this episode the last 15 years or so of her life, which you think would be more uneventful than the first 65 years, but how wrong we would be. She packed a lot into what, for the time, I think was a pretty pretty long life. 80 years, and yeah. we still have a lot of action and adventure to get to. Before we begin our episode today, we do have a few good nobles to thank for their support over at patreon.com slash trashy royals podcast, getting early and ad-free episodes every single week. Huge thanks to Emma M, Carol F, and Kimberly K. Y'all are simply amazing. We can't tell you how much we appreciate your support and you for coming to listen to the conclusion of this 12th century lady. Let us anon to the final years of Eleanor of Aquitaine. Right, Stacy. We left, I think, at the death of Henry the mm-hmm. Second last time. Yeah, Eleanor had sort of come out of, you know, prison, basically confinement. But well, that's the thing, right? Finally, Henry the Second does die, July eleven eighty nine, and their oldest son, who's still alive, mm-hmm. Richard, sure, the Lionheart, self-appointed title. Once Richard verifies that Daddyo is really dead. Richard sends word immediately to release his mother and essentially gives her control of the kingdom. Hmm. The orders that Richard gives along with release my mom is you're to do whatever she wants you to do, whatever she says. Oh, interesting. She's in charge for me in England until I can make it there. Oh, okay. So he's not, he's out of the country. No, he's in Aquitaine at the moment. He is going to head on over to England. But the thing I want you to know is that Eleanor is the king of England, essentially. Richard never spends much time in England, never has, never will. So here's Eleanor, 65 or 67, depending on how old you want to think she is, and ruling England as a dowager queen and almost a substitute consort for her son, Richard, because he's not married yet, but he's about to be because hmm. Eleanor's going to arrange that in short order of by uh-huh, 1191. Well, matchmaking. So the thing about Richard the Lionheart, he has a 10-year reign. It's not terribly long, but it is definitely action-packed for his mother, Eleanor. So in 1189, after Henry passes away and Richard is making it back to England, Eleanor, ruling the country, is going to enact a lot of laws and legislation. Some of the things she wished Henry had done all the way back, but also... Setting it up for Richard to have it nice and easy when he makes it to England. All the vassals of people who rebelled against Henry II are released. Like, she's trying to make Richard's return 
huzzah or yeah. Richard's uh, arrival a, a, a thing. I think this tended to happen to between, let's call them administrations, where there would be a lot of forgiveness uh, applied. Exactly. Yeah. Well, not only that, not only forgiveness, but Eleanor is uh, building the hype, mm-hmm. building the brand for her son, Richard, because no one in England... It, it, Richard's never been to England. Right. Well, and he, he had an older brother who was the, right? He wasn't supposed to, he exactly. was supposed to be the spare. That's exactly right. So Eleanor is trying to pave the way here for a successful transition and administration for her son. And Richard will eventually make it on back to England. And his arrival in London is triumphant. Do, do, do. Just as Eleanor planned it would be. But alas, Richard, again, no Englishman. He's a Frenchman through and through. And in his 10-year reign, he spends a total of six months in England. He doesn't speak the language. He doesn't know the customs. An early champion of remote work. (laughs) (laughs) Gonna get on that Zoom call. Yep. Because Richard only has returned to England for one thing. And that one thing is cash money. Because Richard is less into being the king of England. He's got other things to do, like go on crusade. Ah, yes. It is Richard the Lionheart's lifelong goal. And at this time, the Turkish have occupied Jerusalem and murdered the Knights Templar. And Richard the Lionheart is going to go on crusade to avenge the Christian West. Now... Here's a little bit of an irony for you. The guy in charge already of Jerusalem lets Christians in. They get a day pass. There's no really really conquering here. Y'all are all invited. You don't have to crusade. We just let you in. Mm -hmm. Come to the gate. Sure. (sighs) (laughs) Historically, I think it has been shown that the crusades were a terrible idea. Mm -hmm. Also, they were very, very expensive. So Richard at this point just needs cash money. So how do you get cash money? You raise the taxes of the people, which is not popular, it turns out, for a new king. It's not going to go great. Richard says that he would have sold London Mm. if he would have found someone to buy it to afford his crusade trip. Yeah, I mean, you got to raise an army. You got to, yeah, it's pricey. It's pricey. It's a real crunch. So I'd sell London. Sure. Everybody's getting like heavily taxed. He's also preparing heavily. Richard is ready to go on crusade, leaving Mama, Eleanor of Aquitaine, unofficially, but also officially in charge. She is pious. She is wise. She's pretty willful. She'll use her own seal. She's running England like a real statesman. She's very impressive. Well, she's already been the Queen of France and the Queen of England. It's hard to find a more qualified figure. It's going fine enough, right? For a moment. This is the early 1190s. Few things here. Little brothers. Am I right? Mm-hmm. Okay. John, brother of Richard, youngest baby son mm-hmm. of Eleanor, is a problem. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me. Sure. John thinks he should be king next. He wants it badly. John's wanted to be king since he was a a toddler with all of his older brothers trying to like worm in on what we get from daddy. Like in Richard's stead or? 
After Richard. After Richard or maybe okay. before. I mean, what's time, mm-hmm. really, when there's a kingdom coming your sure. way? Sure, So John, baby brother John, is going to ally up with Philip II of France, the king, who, let me just connect into our family tree, is the son of Louis VII, Eleanor's first husband. Right. Philip II's mother is Adela of Champagne, Eleanor's replacement. Sure. And bearer of sons to Louis VII. Talk about some family dysfunction. It's complicated. Sleeping with the enemy. Power grabs, right? It's all fun and games until. So Philip II, it turns out, has been on crusade as well. But Philip II at this point is like, I'm out of here. Forget this. And Philip II and baby brother-in-waiting John are going to make an alliance. And so one thing Eleanor is doing in the early time of her son Richard's administration is nixing the alliance that John and Philip are creating. John tries a rebellion in 1192 that doesn't go great, where eventually he has to be like, Sorry, Mom. I was going to say. I won't try that again. It's If Richard's not there, it's technically a rebellion against his mother, which is. Not great. To lose. Definitely not great. So Eleanor's going to keep John down after this until Richard passes away. But we aren't even to that point of the story yet. So let's back up the bus to 1191 and meet Richard's bride. Now, some historians say that Richard the Lionhearted might have been gay. Maybe he has illegitimate children. Maybe he and his future bride never consummated their relationship, which is why they never have a child. But let's get to the English queen that is so famous. Everyone knows her. Berengaria. Ha, just kidding. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> unlikely that you are too familiar with Berengaria. Let's give her a little time in the sun. Berengaria of Navarre. Oh, foreign princess, foreign land. Let's find out why Berengaria seems like a good idea for Richard, or at least as far as Eleanor can tell. Berengaria, again, doesn't have children. She's not necessarily well-remembered, but it is an arranged marriage. And you thought that Empress Matilda was a tough mother-in-law. Poor Berengaria. (laughs) Berengaria, like a lot of other girls in our 12th century stories, has no recorded birthday, Mm. but she is a high-born girl. Her mother is the daughter of the King of Castile. Her father is the ruler of Navarre. The King of Navarre at this time, her daddy, his name is Sancho VI, which his country at this point, Navarre, is getting (laughs) battered about like a cat toy. On the physical map of France. And Spain, I'm guessing. It's sort of a... No, Navarre's French. Okay. But there's some Spanish ties and with where they are. Mm-hmm. It's like, poor Navarre. It's tinier. It's kind of the cat toy that everybody else, all these warring countries and regions are all fighting through and over. All right. But Berengaria, you know, it's a nice enough life for a little girl until her mother passes away when she is very young. And here Sancho VI is like, hey, Berengaria, you can just do the queen things that your mom was doing. 
which, you know, probably isn't what you want a young child to do, but alas. They grew up so fast back then. (laughs) So by the time Richard is assuming the throne in England, Navarre as a territory is looking a little bit more needed. It's a strategic place on the map. Also, Berengaria comes with a rather large, like, enormous dowry. Colossally big dowry, and crusades do not pay for themselves. But see, here's the thing. The plan was never for Richard to marry Berengaria, because Richard, (laughs) God, so trashy, already has another fiancé. He's already engaged. He's betrothed already. Who is he betrothed to? Her name is Alice. She is the sister of the King of France, Philip II. This is so complicated. Okay. So Alice, the sister, which would, like, oh, this is just so much dysfunction. Philip has betrothed his sister Alice to the King of England. So, like, think about it from Philip's POV. Huzzah. I'm going to marry my sister over into England. We can settle this once and for all unifying ties. It's all going to be great. Because Richard still has this Angevin empire that stretches from its... He's ruling, yeah. England and then much 100%. of modern day France. You betcha. Okay, so... You betcha. Yeah, I can see Philip wanting some power plays here to get back some land. The two, Philip and Richard, have been in negotiations forever about this. So when my sister marries you, who gets what? What happens if you have sons? What are their tour? Like, they have been working out this agreement. This God, prenups <sighs> in this era must have been massive. Hurdles of permission. Richard and Philip fighting in this treaty forever and ever and ever. But now Richard is like, hmm, I'm the king. I was going to be king before, but now I actually am the king and... I gotta go on crusade, and I just, like, heard this rumor about Berengaria and all the land and money that perhaps an alternate bride that is not named Alice comes with. So, Berengaria is sent for, which technically that isn't true. Eleanor of Aquitaine goes to fetch Berengaria. Wow. Collect Berengaria and then take Berengaria with Eleanor to meet Richard, who's already left on crusade. An early logistics <laughs> challenge. Okay, just a lot of path breaking here. Okay, so Eleanor and Berengaria, I guess on horseback, running all over Europe to find Richard, gives her approval because the wedding is on. And now there's going to be an entire trashy fallout with the king of France, Philip. Philip and Richard are going to fight for a long, long time about this. But the wedding of Richard and Berengaria does happen, and it's a pretty big spectacle. And then Richard goes on crusade. And Richard goes on crusade with Berengaria for a while, which isn't that unusual. Eleanor did it with her husband. But eventually Richard's like, man, you're cramping my style. So he's going to lock Berengaria and his sister, Joanna, for uh, up for two years in hostile territory. Just holds them away in a castle and with the instructions like, don't open a curtain. No one is to know you are here. You need to live as quiet. You cannot go outside. Wow. 
you are stuck. You are essentially stuck for two years in one room with my sister. Sounds delightful. Oh, God, it's so boring. Berengaria is like, you have got to be kidding me. This is terrible. Richard does not have a lot of love for his wife during this portion of his life. He never sees his wife. He is cheating right and left. Oh, sure. And I'm sure he's enjoying all of the hummus and lamb and good coffee and all of that. Having a good time on crusade. Until, until, let's get back to the winter of 1192. Because there are victories in the Third Crusade, but ultimately nothing changes. Because again, Christians are not restricted from going to Jerusalem. And so they go to Jerusalem and they think they conquer a land, but historically has been proven through time. If you conquer a land, you need to stay in the land to rule it. You can't hold a territory if you don't live there. And Richard's like, hey... I went to Jerusalem, I got in, avenged the Christian West. He's not sticking around. He heads home. I mean, it's exactly what they had before. It's so much wasted time, money, mm. effort, bloodshed. Oh, I was going to say, humans. Oh, yeah, it's just, it's terrible. So Richard goes, gets his day pass, takes his pictures, right. gets his patch, and is on his way back from Crusade. I know. I, by the same token, I once conquered Washington, D.C. <laughs> Took all the pictures. Go get your certificate, dude. You went on Crusade. It cost a lot of money and lives, but huzzah. Do you not remember my conquest of Denver, Colorado? <laughs> right. But this is like the end of 1192. Winter. We've conquered, but we're not sticking around. So really, it's kind of all a wash. But in January 1193, Eleanor of Aquitaine goes to her little mailbox and there's a letter from the Holy Roman Emperor Henry VI. And that letter is like, Eleanor, oh no, your son has been captured on his way back from the Crusades. Oh God. He is being held by <laughs> Leopold of Austria. Oh my God. And Leopold of Austria has been an enemy of the family from way back, like Leo and Hank too. Fought for decades. And Richard, the Lionheart, is a valuable asset. He's the king of England. So here, ransom is set. That ransom that Eleanor finds out about via the Holy Roman Emperor is 100,000 silver marks. This is twice the annual income of England. Okay, we're not even going to try to inflation adjust that. That's Uh, just... 109 million, like at the time... Like, for what the budget, what that's as close as I can get. There's not really yeah, accurate I, data uh, exactly. where I can translate I mean, it to today's dollars. A different currency even. Yeah, okay. But yeah, like a huge, huge ransom. A colossal, colossal amount of money. But if we know anything about Eleanor, she's a mama's bear and she is going to get her son back. It's a great time to take a break. When we come back, we're going to find out how she does it. We'll see on the flip with, I guess, some medieval fundraising. Ain't that the truth. 
This is Jess Betancourt, the host of DNA ID, the only true crime podcast that exclusively covers cases solved using forensic genealogy. DNA ID goes behind the headlines to answer your questions about this remarkable new crime-solving tool, how it works, how cases are selected, why the cases were unsolved for so long, and how the justice system is addressing it. I include input from law enforcement to give you the inside scoop that we all crave with a straightforward, no-nonsense delivery. You can find DNA ID on any podcast platform. Episodes come out weekly on Mondays. All right, Stacy. you talk about medieval fundraising. No lie. Eleanor, at this point... <laughs> March of dimes. <laughs> yep. Imposes levies and more taxes on England, gets the churches and the abbeys involved. Everybody's raising money to save the King of England, and the King of England doesn't care about England at all. But who does care about the King of England is everybody else in Eleanor's other lands. So it's not just England she's drumming up okay. money in... She is doing the same thing in Aquitaine, in every sing- in all of the Angevin Empire. Mm-hmm. Eleanor is like, we have one goal, and that is to get Richard the Lionheart released from captivity. Mm-hmm. Everything, all other work of the kingdom stops until we get enough money to do this. She is solely focused on this goal. Eleanor takes the long and arduous journey to go get her son back. But yikes. This is a traveling woman. Traveling girl. There's so many tricks, shady, shady tricks or tricks that happen here. So here Eleanor shows up with her bags of fat cash. And Leopold of Austria is like, ha, 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 ha. That's cute, Eleanor. Those are some pretty spiffy bags of money you have there. But you know who has more money than you, Eleanor? Who wants Richard even worse? that I might have made another deal with. Is it Philip II of France? You bet your tail it is. (laughs) It turns out Philip has offered me way more money than the unreasonable first ransom I set for your son. Well, and I mean, in theory, he could get his buddy John on the throne and solve all this land stuff and... Blah, blah, blah. Right. Philip II very much would Mm -hmm. pay whatever it takes to get Richard Mm -hmm. out of the picture, not only for revenge on his whole sister Alice thing, but for the many, many benefits that would provide. Yeah. So here it's on Eleanor. She has a really uncomfortable weekend, but spends essentially 48 hours negotiating to get her son back, which she does. Eleanor and Richard will depart together, which is honestly kind of a miracle. Good grief, let Eleanor just take a nap already. (laughs) So here at this point, King Richard returns to England in 1194. Little brother baby John has simmered down a bit. All support he may have had is kind of done. And here in 1194, returning from Crusades, Richard finally becomes the king that he should have been before crusading and capturing. Like, things are falling into line. He's still not in England, Hmm. but at least, you know, he's back in sort of handling it. You know, I applaud that his mother did not impose a return-to-the-office policy. Well, (sighs) things are kind of falling into line because this is Richard the Lionheart, self-appointed title who honestly is not very lion-hearted at all. It turns out that Richard is kind of a jerk and way more concerned with his own image and his own reputation 
Those are his focus points way more than doing anything good for the country. Now, remember, Richard has a wife, Berengaria, who's been out, right? But in 1194, the bishop goes to Richard and is like, Richard, you are a terrible man. You have got to reunite with your wife. And Richard will bring Berengaria back and deny all other women. But this reunion is very, very short-lived as Navarre is no longer needed on the map. And with this power play change, it, of course, is all whose fault. Berengaria's? Yep. Okay. She's the woman to blame because the lack of children is her fault somehow. Yeah. What, was she supposed to get pregnant by his sister? (laughs) (laughs) It's all terrible. So things, it's just, it's all, Richard's a jerk and Berengaria's back outcasted. Things roll along until about 1199. But the story's about Eleanor, and I really do want to keep her the focus, but her last years are so integrated with her son Richard. So things are rolling along until about 1199 when Richard dies. Hmm. Did Richard have to die? Gloriously and in combat. You want to take a guess? Dysentery. A uh, good try. No, no. arrow. Fatal wound oh, by another... arrow. Wow. It it's yeah, okay, arrows do a lot of king cleaning. I, they certainly do, but did that arrow need to kill Richard? No. It did not. But let me give you a little fun fact about Richard the Lionheart. He believes so much in his big reputation and his invincibility that Richard wears no armor. Hmm. I see. Well, it would make it easier for the arrow to... Achieve its aim. (laughs) Yeah, Richard, this one's on you, buddy. The king is dead. Long live the king. Richard's out. Welcome to the John administration. Well, not exactly. Okay. Because we got a little bit more... You say that like it's so easy. (laughs) My sweet, sweet summer child. Because who's still the king of France? Phil. Phil too. Phil too. And see, Phil too and Richard, (laughs) since that whole, your mom bailed you out before Leopold sold out to me, they have spent five years, Philip and Richard, since 1194, making a peace treaty. It has taken five years to negotiate all of this nonsense, and here Richard is dead at 41. And now there's a squabble over who to support. Who are our contenders? Yes, baby brother who wants to be King John, who is a full-grown adult, or a younger contender for the throne. This is Arthur I, Duke of Brittany. Why is he important? Who is he? He is the son of Geoffrey, one of Eleanor's sons. Arthur I is Eleanor's grandson. Okay. Interesting. Uh Uh-huh. So you've got uncle versus nephew. Mm -hmm. You have child versus grandchild. And here in this squabble for the throne, Eleanor will secure the line for John over her grandson, Arthur. Much to Robin Hood's chagrin. (laughs) So here Eleanor gains support, gets King John on the throne, who is literally such a terrible king There has only been one John. 
Uh, to your point, Stacy, I have written here in my notes, please see the Disney movie Robin Hood <laughs> for the completely true adventures of King John. Absolutely. Just kidding. But seriously, mm-hmm. that guy. We're, we're going to talk about him in the future. No, worth noting, Cousin Steve, a few episodes back also, <laughs> there has not been a Stephen II. Nope. They just... They just stopped that line. Stop that one. That's how terrible you have to be. And like Richard the Lionheart gets the name like the Lionheart. Richard's a terrible king, <laughs> but he looks fantastic when you load him up next to his oh, baby yeah. brother. Oh, yeah. History. Oh, God, it's fun. Okay, here we are. Eleanor <laughs> supports King John to get King John on the throne. But part of what she's doing to make this happen is. She's going to help arrange interconnected marriages of her grandchildren. Philip, I'm going to help you out here. We're going to we're going to make this all happen. No worries. Now, when Richard passes away, he leaves no kids, which leaves the crisis. But remember Berengaria, who got kicked out because it was all her fault. She had no kids, but yep. it's hard to do when you don't hang out with your husband. Yep. Berengaria has no actual idea that Richard's passed away. She's the forgotten queen of England. There's She's not sent a letter or a telegram. Nobody goes out to tell her. So here Berengaria, like whatever, goes out. She's picking rose hips in her front lawn one day. And there's a passing priest. And she's like, condolences. yeah, what news? And he's like, oh, yeah, your husband's dead. Berengaria, not clearly invited to the funeral. She's our English queen that never actually sets foot inside of England as its reigning monarch. Wow. Think about that. Okay, so here King John is in charge. And to be fair, he is terrible to Berengaria. King John is going to claim all of her dowager lands Mm. and her money too. Pope Innocent will attempt to make some kind of headway like, King John, you can't leave Berengaria destitute. But it is not until the reign of Henry III, Hank III, that any of the back debt that Berengaria is owed comes to her. That King John really is a prat. Berengaria, though, for her part, lives a good long life after the death of her husband. She'll live until the year 1230. She will pass away one month before seeing the consecration of the monastic house that she was assisting to build before her death. Berengaria, the queen that no one's ever heard of, lacking power, no agency, and least until her husband died and then still not a lot. But she dedicates herself to all of these really good works. Mm-hmm. She's kind yeah. of a wonderful queen, but not successful in the air part. Sure. But again, this story is about Eleanor. So let's get her through her twilight years, as still there is no rest for Eleanor. Eleanor, after the death of Richard, right, goes on this diplomacy tour, reaches out to Philip II to ally his family and her family in future marriages. And here, Eleanor, at the tender age of 77, give or take, right, the, we're going to go 77. Right, right. Is going to go see her daughter. Her daughter, Eleanor of England. Eleanor of England is the Queen of Castile. Eleanor has not seen her daughter in 30 years. Wow. Because Eleanor, Queen of Castile, got shipped off many, Mm -hmm. many decades ago to 
handle it for mom. Sure. And then mom was in prison for 15 years and then busy chasing her son around Europe and the Middle East. <laughs> like we spend a lot of time on Eleanor's sons, but her daughters really are just as fascinating. So Eleanor going to see her daughter. Oh, oh it's a reunion. Girl power. Well, it should be, but it takes a minute to get to girl power time because on the way to visit her daughter, Eleanor of Aquitaine is ambushed and captured. Yikes. And her captors are like, that's cool. We'll release you, but we want a title to do it. Right. We Yeah, we need something. And Eleanor at this point is like, I am 80 years old. Whatever you want. You're the title of... Mm-hmm. Capture a queen, knock yourself out. Just let me go on. I got stuff to do. I don't have any time to waste. <laughs> Eleanor is going to then cross the Pyrenees Mountains to get to Castile, where the nice reunion with she oh, and her okay. daughter and all of her grandchildren happen. Having left behind the Duke of My Foot. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. Newly minted. Here in Castile... There are two daughters that Eleanor needs to choose from to marry the son of Philip II. So these are granddaughters to her. Granddaughters, okay. yes. She will choose Blanche, her granddaughter Blanche, to marry the French heir. Blanche is the future mother of Louis IX of France. So key alliance, key, key yeah. choice here. After this visit, Eleanor does... Make it back to France, but men, am I right? War now breaks out between King John and King Philip II. And her grandson, Prince Arthur, Hmm. is all slung up in it too. So essentially, Eleanor, one last time, like she's been doing since the beginning of time, saves the day for her son, King John. With a little bit of shady, it's a whole battle, but... Eleanor, at this point, is responsible for securing John's greatest victory ever. But now, Eleanor's tired, and she's ready to rest. And in the summer of 1202, Eleanor will enter the abbey and take the veil. She will spend the last two years of her life in silence and prayer, passing away in her abbey in March of 1204 at the age of 80 years old or 82, depending on the birth year you go with. Just an incredible life and and a very long one for the era, I think. You ain't kidding. Eleanor is laid to rest beside Henry II and two of her children. (laughs) After her long, feisty, and rebellious life. Did they move Louis VII's body to just have this little triangle? Okay. Eleanor outlived both of her husbands and all but two of her ten children. Wow. When you speak to the longevity of her life, Eleanor was one of the most powerful figures in all of Europe. She is a 12th century lady outlier. And I love her. She must have been a truly powerful diplomat. I mean, her travels. Yeah. That just also seems entirely unusual, especially for a woman of that era. Because clearly it was not safe. You could be captured by the Duke of my foot. (laughs) On the road again. Right. 
Eleanor's story really is incredible and her impact on England and France and medieval Europe will Mm -hmm. last and last. So when I say that Eleanor of Aquitaine was the grandmother of Europe, I'm not joking. The list is very, very long. And she has a lot of descendants. Some that hold titles, some that do not. But they are in every house across medieval Europe, littered about the place. If we look at Eleanor's children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren only, who were kings, queens, empresses. This is an impressive list. Just the ones who ruled. Mm -hmm. Let's go through this. Eleanor's descendants, grandmother of Europe. Who became monarchs, yes. Correct. From England, Henry the Young King, Richard I of England, John of England, Eleanor, fair maid of Brittany, was for a time proposed as the rightful ruler of England, Henry III of England, Edward I of England. From France, Blanche of Castile, Queen of France, and Louis IX of France. Go a little further south into Spain, which is considered Castile, Leon, and Aragon. Eleanor, Queen of Castile, Ferdinand II, King of Castile and Leon, Berengaria, Queen of Castile and Leon. She rules Castile briefly in her own right. We have Eleanor of Castile, Queen of Aragon, and Henry of Castile. Go just a little bit further. Let's talk about Portugal. Hmm. Aracia of Castile, Queen of Portugal, Sancho II of Portugal, and Alfonso III of Portugal. All right. Take a deep breath. Let's go on up to Scotland. Joan of England, Queen of Scotland, is a descendant as well as Margaret of England, who was also Queen of Scotland. In the other category. (laughs) Otto IV, Holy Roman Emperor. Richard of Cornwall, King of the Romans. Isabella of England, Holy Roman Empress. Charles I of Sicily, Marie of Champagne, Empress of Constantinople, Alice of Champagne, Queen of Cyprus, Berengaria of Leon, Queen of Jerusalem, Eleanor of Portugal, Queen of Denmark, Eleanor de Montfort, Princess of Wales. Those are just the ones yeah, that Yeah, just the two generations. Ruled. Yeah. So oh, and many. Monarchs, yeah. yeah, many, many, many kids. Huh. Eleanor, a woman you couldn't ignore even if you tried. With the passing of Eleanor, here in our arc in Trashy Royals, we have moved into the 13th century with King John on the throne. It only gets trashier from here. The trashy crowns in this story, I don't think are with Eleanor. She just seems to be uh, reacting and saving the day to Mm -hmm. sons or husbands pretty much. She gets the crown, but it's not at all trashy. It is a woman claiming her own agency. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people wear a lot of hats, but she actually wore a lot of crowns. (laughs) She really, really Mm -hmm. did. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in today and spending your time with us. We're going to be back next week with more Trashy Royals. And until we meet again then, keep your eye on the throne and watch your back. I'm going to say polish up that crown, friends. So much is coming up. Thanks again, everybody. Have a terrific week. See you next time. Bye. Bye.